Let's go ahead and pull it back together. Nice full house, nice fall day. I've decided to go ahead and embrace fall, hence the sweater, right? You say good, Ian? Oh, no, man. I'm, I'm a summer guy. I'm a summer guy. Hey, it's good to have all of you in the house today. Thanks for joining us in worship. Thanks for worshiping the Lord with all your guts today. Like, we worship God with our guts, not just our voices, but our guts, right? We worship with all of our heart. Hey, I got a couple of quick announcements that I want to make before we uh, take a step further and jump into the word. Uh, the first is, if you are here at New Life Midtown, either today's your first day or this season is a new season for you at Midtown, and you have not come to one of our New Life Next luncheons, and you are interested in joining us next week right after service, and you have not registered, okay, all those qualifiers. So if you're new, if you're interested in joining us for our informational luncheon next week, and you have not already registered, if you would just slip up your hand, we have an usher who will put an invite card into your hand with registration information. If you are new and you would like to join us at our New Life Next Luncheon next Sunday, right after service. It's about an hour long. We feed you, we take care of your kids, and we answer all the questions that you have, all of them, every single question. <laughs> that you could possibly ask about this church. Most of them are, I don't really know, but I'll get back to you, okay? But I will answer your question, okay? So we'd love to have you guys. You could, uh, you could register with that QR code. You could hit the Welcome Center up after service, or you could just show up. But we'd like to know if you're coming now or at least by Wednesday of this week so that we can make sure there's plenty of food for you because there's nothing worse than showing up to a new thing and there ain't enough food. There's just, there's just, that's just the worst, okay? So I'm going to promise you that there's going to be plenty of food and uh, it's going to be a good time. We'd love to have you join us. Okay, friends, we are starting a new series today. Woo! <clears throat> I'm excited about this series because I feel like there's a little bit of a different sauce on it than the past series. Uh, in fact, I can't remember if I said this to you or if I said it to our staff, but I really envisioned preaching Nehemiah completely differently than I ended up preaching it. Um, I've been reading this book several months ago. It's called City Changers by a guy named Alan Platt. He's a South African who's a church planter and does a lot of city engagement, city transformation work. And when I was reading that book and I knew that Nehemiah was coming, I was like, oh, snap. Like, we're going to get all up into, like, activating uh, kingdom agents to engage our city. But then there was just this unique anointing, I think, that hit me and hit the series. And it was just an anointing of awakening, it was an awakening anointing. In fact, this week, I asked our staff, I do this about every three to four months. I say, guys, what do you sense that the Lord is doing at Midtown? And what season do you perceive or discern that we're in as a church? And I wanted to read for you guys some of the things that our staff said, because I felt like it was appropriate, and I felt like it was accurate. And I wanted you guys to be aware of what we're discerning the Lord's doing in Midtown in this season. These are some of the answers that they gave. I feel like the Lord is moving us from discipleship into leadership. I feel like God is redigging and opening some wells that have been here for years past. There are prophetic promises that God has made to this house and to new life at large, all of our congregations. And there's a season of awakening and encounter. So one of our missional words, you'll see it out there on the wall, is encounter, formation, and mission. Another way that we like to say that is awaken, equip, and send. And I just sense that the Lord is ushering us into a season of grace where he's going to be, again, awakening our hearts towards him. You can call that like a season of renewal or a season of revival. I use that word very loosely, but I use it also very purposefully. It's a season where God is preparing us for things that he wants to do in the next season. You know, God will do that sometimes. He'll take you deeper. It's like what Aaron said about pruning. Sometimes there are seasons where God calls you deeper into the secret place of God, or he calls you deeper into the root structures of his word, or he calls you into consecration, or he calls you into pruning because there is a season of fruitfulness on the other side of that. And that's what I'm discerning, and that's what the staff is discerning, that God is calling us into a season of greater intensity in pursuing him and seeking after him because there's a harvest. 
There's a harvest of spiritual maturity. There's a harvest of souls that God wants to bring into the kingdom, and he wants to use and work with the people of New Life Midtown to see that happen. It's a time to guard our time. God wants to build a holy passion and a fire again into our house. And I was reminded that when I first became senior pastor here of this congregation 11 years ago in 2011, the Lord brought us through a very similar season. Uh, it, was, it was just full of fasting, prayer vigils. Uh, we would pray a ton. And so I'm just going to announce now that I, I, I am sensing that in January, we are going to resurrect our annual 21-day fast. All right? So all the real spiritual people said, yay. <laughs> no, man, nobody likes to fast. Even those people who say they like to fast. Y'all don't like to fast. Nobody likes to fast. The flesh don't like to fast, all right? But here's what I'm excited about. God always does something so powerful and so purposeful when we cut things out, when we cut the distractions out, when we cut the pleasures of this world out and we say, God, we're going after you with some reckless abandon and some, some intensity. God, God, I'm telling y'all, God just moves on that devotion. So I'm just letting you know that, uh, and I would like to probably get a couple of all corporate nights of prayer sometime between now and the end of 2022. And then we're going to jump into January fasting and praying and 2023 holds prophetic promise for the people of New Life Midtown and Colorado Springs and beyond. Can I get a big hearty amen on that? Amen. amen. All right, great. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of First Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one. And for those of you who are new, welcome to New Life Midtown. It's a joy to have you. For those of you guys who have been here for quite some time, I'm going to need your permission today. And the permission that I'm asking for is I, I'm sensing the anointing on this sermon series is going to be a provoking, provocative anointing. In other words, I kind of feel like I do when I was an offensive line coach for seventh and eighth graders a couple of months ago. I feel like I'm supposed to challenge you guys. And so for those of you guys who are new, you get a pass. Like, I don't have permission to challenge you. You can tune me out. Those of you guys who've been here for a while, I'm asking today that for the next six weeks or the next five weeks leading into Advent, that you just allow me to lean in to a coach anointing and you allow me to challenge you in the grace of the Holy Spirit. So uh, work that out between you and the Lord. I'm going to challenge you anyways. It's just going to be better if you let me do it, okay? <laughs> awesome. Let's pray, then we'll jump right in. God, we love you. You're the best. We're just so grateful for what you're doing in the earth and that you invite us to be a part of it. So grateful, Father, for ministry gifts like the Bettises, like the Putnams. So grateful, Father, for all those who give and labor of their time. They give their energy, their talents, Lord, to serve this house and to serve this community. And Father, I'm asking today that you would pour fullness out. I'm asking for fullness, God, today. I don't want just a little drop. I don't want just a little work, God. I want a full work. I want the full measure of glory. I want the full measure of the fullness of God to be poured out in this place. So I'm asking for help, Holy Spirit. I'm asking for the grace of God to preach. I'm asking for the grace of God to teach, to awaken, and to equip, and to send us in to our mission in this community and beyond. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you today. We give you full reign and we surrender to your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so today's message is going to be unique. I'm actually going to not be in 1 Timothy very much. I'm going to be using a lot of scriptures in the book of Acts and in other epistles that talk about and give us an idea of who Timothy was. And I'm going to be doing, for those of you who are aware with different Bible study methods, I'm going to be doing a character biographical sketch. So very little, you know, expository work in 1 Timothy, and I'm going to be actually talking about who was Timothy. And there's a couple of reasons I'm doing this. Number one is I want us, I want us to understand who Timothy is. I want us to get a good idea of who is this leader that Paul is entrusting the entire church of Ephesus, the leadership of the church at Ephesus, Paul is entrusting this task to Timothy, it might be good for us to know who Timothy is, to know some of his story, to know some of his background, to know what he's been through, to know some of his process, and to learn from that. Secondly, I want us to see Timothy's life as a model for Christian leadership. I want to see his life 
as a model for Christian leadership. Today, I'm going to talk about a couple of milestones in Timothy's life. I'm just going to touch them superficially, but I hope that they're an invitation for you in your life in God to dig in and to pursue ministry and to pursue leadership. Now, just I'm going to veer here for a second and a little bit of social commentary here. As I've been looking over, been thinking and reflecting about the church and our culture, this just could be me, but I just don't see a great hunger for Christian leadership like I have seen in the church in years past. Think about that. Like reflect on it. Reflect in your own life and reflect in the people around you. And I'm thinking about when I was young, was thinking about when I was a young man. I went to my youth pastor. I was 16 years old, just had a really powerful encounter with the Lord. And I said, I I had no language for this. I remember going to a Promise Keepers conference in Dallas, Texas, and I heard somebody preach from the stage that every man or woman needs to have in their life a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. How many of you heard that before? Every person in their life needs a Paul. They need a sage. They need a, a, a statesman, woman, or man of God that is further along in the faith that can pour into their lives. They need a Barnabas, a companion, an advocate a friend who's trusted, who's going to to press them in to the things of God. But they also need a Timothy, someone that they're pouring their life into. And so I just, with just innocence and naivety, I approached my youth pastor and I said, would you be a Paul to me? And would you allow me to be a Timothy in your life? And that man took that seriously. In fact, he's still a spiritual father in my life today. Next year, we're going to celebrate, two years actually, we're going to celebrate 30 years a faithful ministry relationship and friendship together. That's unprecedented and it's amazing, but it began with me pushing beyond superficial relationship and asking this man to be a spiritual father, to mentor, to disciple, and to discipline me in the things of God. And I just look around and I don't see that same level of ambition or hunger and that that concerns me. When I think about young people who are 30 years old or younger, and while I'm speaking to everyone today, I actually have those that are a little bit younger in mind. And I've got a burning desire in my heart today that the 20s and the 30s and the teens in this congregation would begin to sense God call your lives into something bigger and better than what the world has to offer. I have a burden for that. I have a burden that you would desire to give your life to become great Christian leaders. Like, don't be average, mediocre people that just blend in. Be people that do great things for God because you can and because he's called you to it. Another point of my biographical sketch is I want to cast a vision for Christian leadership today. I want every single one of us in this room to desire to be Christian ministers and to be Christian leaders, to not just be content sitting in a chair, to not be content being podcast pew people. Like that's not who you are. Like you're called with ministry gifts and anointings and graces that God's given to you. And God is inviting every single one of us to kind of like kick off the COVID malaise right? And to get back into the game of working with God and working for God and putting every good gift that God has given to us, activating it, activating it, activating it, come on, activating it in Jesus' name, right? I am calling to the church today to be awakened and to be activated again by the invitation of the Spirit and by the grace of God. And finally, I think that there is a maturity that comes only when we activate our gifts and we serve. There is a maturity that comes only when we step into ministry or when we step into leadership. Now, here's a couple of qualifiers. Number one, when I say ministry, I'm not just talking about in the context of the local church, okay? I'm talking about ministering to your family. I'm talking about like not just being at home but being absent, I'm talking about being engaged, being fully engaged with God's purposes and plans for your family. Or those of you who are single and you've got roommates, I'm talking about ministering to your roommates. I'm talking about ministering in the vocation uh, of your workplace or your schools, like understanding that God has appointed you and he has assigned you to a particular place to not just be a warm body in that place, 
but to be an active, activated minister of God. The faithful presence of who Jesus is in that space with your life. That's the call today. And I just, I'm convinced today as I've been reading through First and Second Timothy over and over and over, I am convinced that some of us in this room, we've plateaued in our spiritual faith. And the reason why we've plateaued is because we're not doing anything, right? You were never designed just to sit back and be a spectator or a participant. But when you get activated, you actually press the boundaries of your spiritual maturity and something really powerful happens. You begin to grow. Anybody want to grow in this house? All right, amen. Let's grow. Okay, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at a first couple of verses here, and then we're going to shoot immediately over to the book of Acts. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus, our Lord. Next week, we're going to talk about why Paul wrote this letter. He wrote two letters to Timothy. They had different reasons why he was writing both of those. And we're going to get a little bit more into why did Paul write these letters to Timothy? Let's shoot over quickly to Acts chapter 16. And we're going to begin our biographical sketch of who was this person Timothy. It's really fascinating when you look throughout the book of Acts and you look through the epistles, what you'll find is that Timothy was a robust character in the New Testament. I'm going to give a quick overview, and then we'll jump into Acts chapter 16. He was a traveling companion on Paul's missionary and ministry team. He ended up being a missions team leader for Paul's missionary journeys. Paul considers him a brother and a servant of Christ. Secondly, we find that Paul uh, commissions Timothy into a a deacon ministry, right? So he's not just a disciple. He steps into this deacon role where for several years, Timothy is ministering in tandem with Paul. He's an apprentice. He's a disciple, but he's also someone who is actively giving himself to growing in ministry leadership. Paul calls him a preacher of the gospel in 2 Corinthians 1. He's known as a fellow worker in several scriptures. He's been entrusted with three previous assignments to the church, one in Thessalonica, one in Corinth, one in Philippi, and he actually helped Paul write six letters of the New Testament. Paul is such this massive figure in the New Testament that it's easy for everyone else, Epaphroditus and Silas and Timothy and Erastus to kind of get overshadowed. But Timothy is actually recognized as helping Paul write six letters of the New Testament. And finally, we find that Timothy wasn't just a hireling. He wasn't just a worker. Paul considered him a dear son, a dearly beloved favored friend and a devoted son. Several times he calls him a beloved and faithful son in the Lord. Timothy became Paul's most intimate and most enduring companion. Timothy studied Paul's life, not just his teaching, not just his doctrine, but he studied the way that Paul lived out his faith in God, which is what discipleship is all about. Discipleship is relational in nature. It is not doctrinal in nature. Discipleship is not content-oriented. Discipleship is relationship-oriented. So for those of us who have had hurts or disappointments or wounds in the church, and we want to pull away from the church and just kind of disciple ourselves unto the Lord, I'm here to tell you today by grace and humility that you're going to run into a wall in your discipleship. Because discipleship is relational in its very nature, right? It's in the context of relationships. It's in the context of family. It's in the context of church. It's in the context of committed community that we're going to get offended and we're going to have to learn how to forgive. That we're going to go through disagreements and we're going to have to learn how to reconcile. That we're going to have to learn how to be patient with other people's idiosyncrasies. So I'm just letting you know today, you're going to stalemate your growth in God if you pull yourself away from community or if you refuse to be activated in your ministry gifts and you stop serving. All right, let's go to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. This is the first time we hear about Timothy 
in the New Testament. By the way, the book of Acts is this massive summary of the beginning and the explosion and the establishment of the early church. Four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the ministry of Jesus, who's come to the earth in the flesh, who's given his life as a sacrifice and a ransom for all of humanity so that we can be brought back into relationship with God the Father through the death and the resurrection and through the ascension of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, the church is born. It explodes by the power of God. A little funny thought. We were worshiping here today, and this, this crazy thought ran through my head. The church has always been charismatic. It's always been charismatic. So I, hey, I realize we have an eclectic group here. Some of that is by design. We have a massively eclectic group. But I want you to know, before the church was ever reformed, or before the church was ever Presbyterian, before it was ever Catholic, or whatever your, little, whatever your thing is, it was always charismatic. It was birthed in the fires of the Holy Spirit. All right, so if we're going to be anything, we're going to be a people of the Spirit devoted to the man Christ Jesus that we learn and love and discover in the Word of God that He's given to us. Can I get a hearty amen on that? Amen. All the charismatic people? Okay. Y'all are all charismatic, you just don't realize it yet. All right, Acts chapter 6, 16, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer but whose father was a Greek. Catch that. His mother was a believer. She was Jewish, and she had become a follower of Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. But Timothy was like me. He was a half-breed, right? He was a mixed mixed boy. His dad was a Greek. He was uncircumcised. Verse 3, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So Paul comes to this town, and he hears about this young boy by the name of Timothy. I think his heart is connected to young Timothy. Many scholars believe because you never, ever hear about Timothy's dad. So a lot of scholars, as they look throughout the New Testament, they look historically, you hear about Timothy's grandmother and his mother in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, but you never hear about Timothy's dad. And so many scholars believe that one of the things that helped to facilitate Paul's relationship with Timothy was his father was absent, And Paul didn't have any children, and so it helped foster and facilitate this this relationship of affection between the two of them in a holy sense, in a healthy sense. So Paul wants to invite this young man to be a part of his missions team. Paul wanted to take him along on his journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, They delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they grew daily in numbers. The first thing I want to hit today in Timothy's ministry life is that he was a disciple. He was a disciple. He was a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. What is a disciple? This is going to be review for a lot of you. But very simply, a disciple is a disciplined learner. A disciple is a disciplined learner and a devoted follower. So at some point in Timothy's life, maybe it was his grandmother Eunice, maybe it was his mother Lois, but there is a history of the Christian faith in his home. And he opened his heart to the person and the revelation of who Jesus was. And he made a decision as a young boy, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be a student of your ways. I'm going to study your life. I'm going to study your teachings. And I make the commitment as a young man to follow you. As a young boy, Pastor Scott, who I just told the story about, the first thing he taught me was he said, Jade, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you you have to have three core ingredients in your life. F-A-T, F-A-T. He says, you've got to be faithful. And so he made me start showing up to service early. I'd help to clean up and tear down after service. That was just part of this discipleship process. Pastor Scott started this this prayer ministry. So back in the day, we would have services on Sunday morning and on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. And sometimes during revival services, we'd have them every day of the week, right? And on Sunday nights, service started at 6, but Pastor Scott had me come at 5 because he had a prayer class. Friends, I want you to know that I still pull 
on the training of how to become a prayer warrior from those two years that Pastor Scott had me come from five to six on a Sunday night, learning how to pray through the Lord's Prayer. And the teaching was by a man by, by the name of Larry Lee. Could you not tarry an hour? And the goal was to train an army of intercessors in our church to be able to pray with and tarry with God for an hour. And friends, as a young 16, 17-year-old boy, I learned how to pray for an hour. He had me memorizing scripture. I remember, I, this is hilarious, but our pastor at the time was an older guy. He was in his early 70s. And... Um, I am by nature a hungry guy. I'm just part, it's part of my personality. And I'll never forget, man, I got to the point where I was like, I don't really like this guy's preaching. He's old, it's antiquated. There's a big, massive generational gap. I didn't have language for that, but that's kind of what was coming off of me. And Pastor Scott came to me and says, hey, listen, what, what, like, why, why are you checking out in the front row? Why aren't you taking notes? And I gave all my excuses and he says, listen, I want you to have a notepad out and a pen and a Bible open. And anytime the word of God is being taught or preached, you are there, you're leaning in, your body posture is leaning forward and you are taking notes. Friends, 30 years later, 30 years later, that was ingrained into me. And it, you'll see that that is still a part of my life today. Faithful, all right? A, available. What is a disciple? The disciple is someone who, who is available. You can't teach or train someone who's not there. I mean, that's all there is to it. Show up to practice. Show up to practice. One of my other spiritual fathers in the faith has this mantra, and he says, every day is training day. Every day is training. Every day you wake up in the morning, be available to what God wants to do in your life. Be present to the work and to the ministry, to the teaching, to the pruning that God has for you. Say, God, I'm available today and I'm present today. What are we doing today? What's on, what's on the practice uh, uh, curriculum today? What's on the agenda today? What skills do I need to build into my character and into my Christian life today? The third word is T, faithful, available, and teachable. Be hungry be teachable. Friends, the worst place you can ever be in your Christian life is a place where you assume that you know everything. The place where you assume that you have arrived in Christianity. And my challenge to you today is be a hungry and a teachable people. Have a humble heart. Be people that want to learn people that want to grow, that want to hear more and more and more, and that you allow the challenge of the Holy Spirit to come into your life and change and disrupt and disorient and interrupt the way that you live your life so that you can become more like God. Amen? Amen. Man, hey, listen, let me, just, let me just put this out here. If you stop learning, you will not be able to change. That's all there is to it, right? So if you stop learning, then you stop changing. And if you stop changing, then you stop growing. And when you stop growing, you're dead. You may not be physically dead, but that thing that you're giving yourself to is dead. Let me give you an example. I've been married now for 21 years. I know it's not very long compared to some of you guys in this room. But if Christy comes to me and she says, Jay, there's some things that you're doing that are affecting our relationship negatively, and I refuse to listen to my wife, I won't change in that area of my life. And if I refuse to listen to my wife and I refuse to learn from my wife and I don't change that area of my life, then I'm going to stop growing in that area of my life. And if I stop growing in that area of my life, in that area of our marriage, it's going to die. It's going to die. And I can throw out all the excuses and I can justify and I can do all of that stuff. But I'm just here to tell you today, the life of God, the vibrancy, the passion, the friendship, the fruitfulness of our marriage will die if I don't maintain a teachable posture towards my wife. And you can throw that in any area of your lives. You can throw it at your job. Guys, listen, like we are in a culture right now that is fraught with excuses. It's easy. It's easy right? 99% of the people on the planet are people that give themselves to excuses. We are prone towards passivity. We are prone towards compromise and we are prone towards being mediocre. And I am speaking to the spirit of God inside of you today because the spirit of God is not mediocre. The spirit of God is not passive. The spirit of God is not average. The spirit of the living God, the God of eternity is excellent and is constantly inviting you, let's grow, let's grow, let's lean in, let's press in, let's receive this, let's be humble, let's be gracious, let's forgive, let's, let's have an appetite, let's, let's increase our appetite for the things of God. Amen? Amen. 
I'm just going to keep saying amen until y'all start talking to me on your own. All right? Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, listen, if you want to be my disciple, it's very simple. This is a really simple equation. There's three things. Number one, deny yourself. Simple, right? Take up your cross. Take up your cross and then follow me. Wherever I go, follow me. This morning, early in the, early in the morning, I was just saying those three things over and over again. Simple but difficult. Right, Because when we say, God, I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me, it's going to confront places of convenience in our lives. Because God will always call you out of your comfortability, and he will always call you out of your convenience, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's keep, let's keep moving forward here. Let me just say these things because I think it's going to be a good foundation for the rest of the series. Christian leadership, guys, it begins with discipleship. It begins with discipleship. Like I'm always leery of someone who comes and they want to lead, but they don't have the foundation of character in their lives that will sustain the pressure and the authority that comes from leadership. All right. It's like, it's like an iceberg, right? So, you know, at the tip of that iceberg, if that right there is what everybody is seeing in your leadership, the higher you go in whatever position it is in life that you go, the deeper and the broader the base of character needs to be in your lives. So no matter how high you go up in Christian leadership, you never outgrow your Christian discipleship. We never graduate beyond being faithful, fully surrendered, fully submitted, hungry, devoted disciples of Jesus. Because leadership is a byproduct of your discipleship. Leadership is the overflow of your heart commitment to Jesus. All right, now things are gonna get really fun. I'm gonna get like nuts up here. Let's go uh, into Acts chapter 16, verse two, and then we're gonna shoot over to Acts chapter six because one of the things that I noticed, which I think is very fascinating, is that when Paul was recruiting Timothy, Paul was very concerned about how Timothy was perceived and how he was spoken of by the believers in that community. Look right here. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. If you know your Bible as well, this may take you to Acts chapter 6. Go with me to Acts chapter 6. The background of Acts chapter 6, the church is exploding. And as the church grows, it brings challenges. So if you want a challenge-free life, then just remain static. Don't push for growth in your business. Don't push for growth in your finances. You have a bigger house, it's more rooms to clean. You want a bigger business, it's more employees to disciple, develop, and manage. It's just growth brings challenges. And as you learn with God, the wisdom, the discipline, the adjustment to manage those challenges, God will grow you so that what you're leading can grow. That's the way growth happens. And we get in trouble when the things that we're managing or leading grow beyond the growth inside of ourselves. So Acts chapter six, the church is exploding and the apostles are hearing people complain because there's a certain group of people, the Hellenistic Jews, who feel like their widows are being overlooked. Hey, listen, you guys. Like, I thought the gospel was for everybody. And now all of a sudden we find out that you're, you're showing preferential treatment to Jewish widows, and our, our Hellenistic Greek widows are being overlooked. So the apostles do something I think is brilliant. They create a deacon ministry. Look with me at Acts chapter 6. And we're going to look right here at verse 3 and verse 4. So the apostles called all the disciples together. And in verse three, they said, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and full of wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them. I see five things right there. And if I had a Wednesday night class, I would take 12 weeks and preach on these five things, but I don't, I've got 12 minutes. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna break this down. Brothers and sisters, number one, choose. If you're taking notes, write down and put the number one, choose. That tells me that this was not an arbitrary process, right? The disciples or the apostles weren't, weren't operating off of the warm body system. Oh, you're a warm body. Great. Here, help us out. Help these kids out. Oh my God. Like help our greeting team out. No, this, this was a specific, intentional, 
purposeful process where they were taking inventory of the people that were in the community. Here are some of the ways that choose is translated in different versions. Pick out, search out, seek out, select with intention, and appoint. So this, again, this wasn't, a, this wasn't arbitrary. The apostles come to the believers, the disciples, and they say, I want you to think about what you need for this ministry. Write a plan, create a process, and be purposeful in what you're trying to build in those leaders. Choose seven men from among you. That's number two. These are people that are among you. These are not people that are like, oh, I'm just, I'm just church shopping right now. I hate that phrase, right? I'd rather you say, I'm trying to discern where God wants to plant me in this season, right? It's just a little bit of, an, it's a little bit of a pet peeve, but think about the language. You don't shop for a church, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18 says that God places every member of the body where he wants it to be. So you don't get to choose your church. You get to say yes to God's choice for the church that he's planting you in. And think about this. It is being among people where you're known. Look, you, just, you have to see this. Choose seven men from among you who are known. That's number three. They're known. Friends, you're known for something. Your character is known for something. It's known in your workplace. It's known in the community. When people say your name, what do they think about you? What are the adjectives that people fill in the blanks after numerous interactions, after numerous conversations with you? How are you known in the community? It never fails. Being a pastor now for 21 years, people will come and they'll want a reference. They'll want a recommendation form. And for some of them, it's, it's, it's a whole gamut of things. It's number one, I don't know you. I don't know you. We've had zero interaction one with another. There's no one in the community that knows you. Are you in a table group? Are you connected to a men's or a women's ministry? Have you done anything? Number two, um, I may know them, but their character has been, eh. right? And they're like, oh, come on, pastor. Like, give me a good word. I'm like, listen, bro, listen, you want a good word, be a good dude, right? Okay. They, these, these people, they were known because they were rooted in the community and they were connected and they were consistent. They were connected and they were consistent. Now, let me just lean in a little bit further. Guys, you got to really, you got to think about this because here's what this implies. This implies, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be. If you're wanting to step up into greater leadership responsibility in your life, whatever vocation or field that might be, this means that you have to build the conscious decision and you have to build the inner disciplines to move beyond yourself. To move beyond yourself. There are people that show up here, Antioch, Freedom Church, Springs Harvest, Midtown, whatever name you want to slap on it, there are people that show up. And it's, and it's not just this church, it's any church. I'm speaking generically. But, but here's, here's the word. That's, your, your church is so unfriendly. No one's ever spoken to me. I've been here for six months. I've been here for a year. No one talks to me. Okay, And if you'll give me an opportunity, I'll ask you a whole series of questions. You guys don't want to have this conversation with me. <laughs> Okay, because I'll just, I'll say, oh, that's fine. I, you know, I'm working really hard to build a community. But here, let me just ask you this. Um, do you actually get up out of your seat and connect with anybody during the Guest Connect time? Do you come early or stay late? Do you invite anybody over for lunch or over to your house? Are you involved in a table group? Do you go to men's prayer? Do you go to any of the kindred events? Um, are, are, you, are you connected in any way? Are you moving beyond yourself? See, church connectivity and church commitment, it's a two-way street. I told you I'm going to talk to you like disciples today. I told you I'm going to call you into ministry responsibility because I think there's something inside of you that wants to grow. And if it doesn't, I want to put a seed. I want to drop a seed inside of you. You want to, you want to grow. You want to grow. Guys, being connected and being consistent is a two-way street. Like, you know, there, are, there was a time in church history where when they would, you know, send out these uh, surveys, to be a committed person in the church meant what? 
It meant you came every. It meant you came every Sunday morning, and at that time, it meant you came Sunday night and Wednesday night too. Do you know that now people consider being committed to a local church if they come once every two months? Oh yeah, oh yeah. They're like, oh yeah, I'm committed. Yeah, once in once in eight weeks, I'm committed. Right. So look, look at how the nature of definitions and meanings have changed. The standards of what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus. Now, that doesn't even mean I, I don't have to give. I don't, don't ask me to serve. Listen, I come once every eight weeks. That should be enough, right? Let's, let's elevate the bar back to the New Testament standard of what it means to be a servant and a minister of God, which takes me to my next point here. Timothy wasn't just a disciple, right? He didn't just start off as a disciple, and then several years later, Paul says, hey, would you be interested in becoming the pastor of the church at Ephesus? There was a process. It was a ministry development process called the ministry of the deacon. The ministry of the deacon. Now, whatever your church background is, like take all of that off and let's just go to the word and let's talk about what the ministry of the deacon is. A deacon in the Greek very simply means a minister. Actually, what it means is it means a table servant. So when you go to a restaurant and someone waits on you, hello, sir, how are you doing today? They're, they're, they're taking care of your water. They're bringing food out to you. They're tending to your needs. You know what that person is? They're a deacon. They're a deacon. And a deacon very simply is someone who is ministering in the arena of the kingdom with intentionality and with purpose. And this is what we find. We find that Timothy became a deacon or a minister who underwent training in Paul's missionary journeys. Turn with me to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. This is several years now after Acts chapter 16. And in the course of time, from Acts chapter 16 to Acts chapter 19, there has been so much that has happened. Paul's been thrown in jail the, the church has exploded in Ephesus. Paul goes to Thessalonica and preaches, and a group of jealous Jews come and stir up a riot and a mob. I mean, like, so much has happened. And then here in Acts chapter 19, verse 22, here's what we find. It says, after all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. That's 21. Look at 22. And he sent two of his helpers. Two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little bit longer. That word helper right there, that's our word, diakoneo, right? Deacon, servant, minister, attendant. Timothy had graduated from disciple into minister. And this is what I want to call every single one of us to today. And here's why. Because Jesus was a minister. Jesus was a servant. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, the background of this is the disciples are all clamoring to be leaders. And then Jesus says to them, hey guys, listen, just so you're aware, leadership in my kingdom looks a little bit different than it does in the Greco-Roman empire. He says, just as the son of man did not come to be diakoneo, the son of man did not come to have you wait on my table, but the son of man comes so that he could wait at your table. It's the same word. It's deacon. It's minister. It's serve. It's wait on tables and wash feet. That's the training curriculum for leadership in the body of Christ. Waiting on tables and washing stank toes, right? That's the training curriculum. Sign up. Sign up, guys. Everybody want to sign up right now? QR code for waiting on tables, but bussing dishes and trimming toenails, right? That's ministry leadership curriculum 101. It just is. The Son of Man did not come to be diakoneo, to serve, but he came here to serve you. The ministry of Jesus was the ministry of a deacon. It was the ministry of a minister, servant, attendant. And this is what he's constantly recruiting us into. Come, follow me, 
and I'm going to make you into something. Come, follow me, and I'm going to sign you up for a training plan. Come, follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to live beyond yourself. Come, follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to move outside of your personality and all of the excuses that keep you in a life of passivity. Come, follow me, and I'm going to change your life. Come, follow me. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. There will be sacrifice. It will be inconvenient. But on the other side of that, you won't even recognize yourself. Because I transformed your life into a passive, mediocre believer, into a stalwart, powerful leader in the kingdom of God in the space that I have assigned. Come follow me. I'm calling you to be a minister. And listen, no matter what you've done, nothing has disqualified you from God's ministry curriculum. Now, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. This is actually the, this is the message for two weeks from now, but I need to say this because I think there's internally, there's some of us in the room that are going, yeah, that's for everyone else, but you don't know what I did. And this isn't on the screen, but I want you to look at first Timothy chapter one. We're going to go back to deacons and whatnot, right? But go to first Timothy chapter one. I need you to see this and I need you to be convinced by the spirit of God today that there is nothing that you have done that has disqualified you from the invitation to grow and mature as a minister of God in your school, in your workplace, or wherever it is that God's called you. 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Timothy 1, 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, it's by his grace, that he considered me trustworthy, and he appointed me to his service, his ministry, his diakoneo. Paul is using the same ministry language here of a deacon. I have been called to be a minister or a servant or a table waiter, not because of anything that I've done. I've been called because of God and his grace and his mercy. Look at verse 13. Even though I was once a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance. And unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sign me up. And he says, I am actually the worst of all the sinners that Christ Jesus came to save. But it's for the very reason that I was the worst, that he was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display, and I love this, his unlimited, endless patience, so that everyone could say, oh my God, if you could save Paul, if you could do it for him, this is Paul's point, this is what he's saying here. Paul's saying there is absolutely no reason on the face of the earth why God should have saved me. But he did, and he did, so that every single person's excuse is blown out the water. Oh my God, if you could save Paul, imagine what you could do with me. Imagine what you could do with my life. Friends, his mercy and his patience towards you are unlimited. Sign up, sign up, sign up, right? It's in the the yoke of working with God, that your next curriculum of development lies. Are you hearing what I just said to you? Okay, it's in this season of getting involved. And I'm not saying that because we have massive needs in this church. It can be in this church, it can be somewhere else. I'm just saying, friends, be activated, get off the bench. Say, God, put my hands to work. Put my hands to work. I want to be involved in ministry. I want to be involved in serving people's lives. I want to be involved in giving myself to what you are doing in the lives of other people. Go to Philippians chapter two. I'm gonna end on Philippians chapter two. Paul is writing Philippians at the end of his life. He's writing 2 Timothy at the end of his life too. And by the way, man, read 1 and 2 Timothy the next five weeks that we have together over and over and over again. God will shine his light on some amazing things for you. But he's writing these these letters, 1 and 2 Timothy, Philippians. He's writing them uh, at the end of his life. Philippians and 2 Timothy, many believe he was writing actually from prison. And so Paul is writing the church at Philippi 
And he is saying to them, guys, I want to be with you. I cannot wait to be with you. As soon as I get out of prison, I'm coming to you. But then starting in verse 19 of Philippians chapter 2, listen to what Paul says about Timothy. My God, I pray somebody says this about me someday. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you because I have no one else like him. Ah, I have no one else like him. I have no one else like him. Some of you are in sitting in positions right now. You're frustrated. You're bored. You want a promotion. You want a raise. You want out. You want to find a different field. And here's the question I'm going to ask you. Can your director, boss, supervisor, pastor, teacher, coach, whatever, can they say about you, I have no one else like her. I have no one else like him. They are the absolute, they are the, they are the top of the list of people that are in my organization, department, team, company. Can they say that about you? And just take some inventory with the Lord, do that on your own. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Guys, you have to get this. Verse 21, for everyone looks out for their own interests. That makes sense. The sinful nature inside of us, the selfish nature inside of us, Paul is saying the easy road is the selfish game. The easy road is what's in it for me. The the path of least resistance is how is this going to fulfill the pleasures and the desires of my life, right? The thing that makes Jesus so countercultural is that he gave it all up, all of it, glory, name, status, favor, position, prestige, title. He gave it all up. And what Paul is saying is, guys, you don't even realize how counterintuitive it is to not feed the, the natural appetites for your ego and for yourself, but to lay that down and to actually be more concerned about what God is doing in the life of someone else than in your life. Now, for those of you who are parents or dog owners, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? Right? Like when that dog or that child is screaming at two, three, and four in the morning, right? And you're frustrated, you're agitated, you're tired, you're fatigued, and it's a long season of doing that, and yet something inside of you compels you. What is it? You're more concerned with their welfare than you are your own sleep. You're more concerned with their welfare than you are your own job. And here's what Paul's getting at. When you choose to get into the yoke of serving what God is doing in whatever space he's calling you to, in ministry or leadership, he's like, this is great because now you've given me permission to apply pressure. Guys, the spirit is on this right now. Okay, I'm going, to use, I'm going to use a football example or a sports example. Here's why I love sports. Here's why I love it. Military, here's why I love it. Because most people do not intuitively give someone else permission to say hard things to us. We don't. We don't. We're proud. We're egotistical. We're lazy. We're, 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 we're vengeful. We're offended. We're too easily offended. We're too easily offended, right? And we don't give people permission to push us. Right? Why is it? Why is the physical training industry one of the largest training, largest industries on the planet right now? We got to pay someone to be mean to us, to get us to do something that we refuse to do ourselves. Right? And this is why I love youth sports, because man, it is immediate accountability for a lack of follow through with standards. Oh, fine. You, didn't, you don't have your helmet? Great. Go run a lap. Oh, you guys, want, you guys want to do that game? Okay, sweet. Let's do bear crawls for 50 yards. This is great. I love this. I love, bring, bring that crappy attitude to practice. Let's go. Come on. I love this. This makes me happy. Okay? I, let's go. I do this all day long. Put a whistle in my mouth. I'm going to start bringing a whistle to church. That's what I need. I need a whistle up in this house. It's game over, y'all. Y'all done messed up. Like, listen. Like, and, th- and the spirit just left, right? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, let me, just, let me just say this, this last thing. When you sign up for discipleship and ministry and leadership, you're giving the Holy Spirit, you can't miss this, through the people that God places around your life, you're giving God permission 
to say hard things to you. You're giving them permission to provoke you. You're giving them permission to say, come on, come on, come on, you, you, you got more in you. You can do better than this. Come on, you're being lazy right now. You're riding, come on. All right, guys, let's stand to your feet this morning. Okay, guests, you get one free pass, but if you come back next week, <laughs> you've been warned today. Like, I mean, I do sense, man, the, the, I just, the Lord is calling us. He's calling the whole body of Christ. Let's mature. Let's mature. It's over. Past two and a half years, it's over. Okay, shake it off. Shake the malaise off. Shake the indifference and the passivity and the Netflix and chill and shake it all off. Shake it off and say, God, there's a work to be done. And my neighbors and my customers and my clients and my coworkers and my friends, there's a work to be done, right? You can do it in God. You cannot do it in yourself. You can do it in God. Let me pray for you, then we're gonna come to the table. Lord, I'm grateful. As we look at the life of a young man by the name of Timothy, who was entrusted, my God, with apostolic authority, he was entrusted. He was entrusted by Paul to step into just a mess at Ephesus. And what is so easy for us to overlook is decades of faithfulness and decades of commitment to a process, decades of playing scales up and down, up and down, decades of perfecting a writing technique, decades of working on a craft, decades of being great, decades of being faithful, decades of forgiving when we wanted to become toxic and bitter and offended, decades of learning how to communicate with our words instead of just shutting down and running away, decades of submitting to leaders, even if those leaders weren't worthy of submitting to, decades of trusting in you and not throwing away our confidence. God, today, oh, I just sense, I sense in my spirit today that you're honoring decades of faithfulness right now. And that some of us are being called out of the discipleship stage and we're being called, we're being called up. Come, come into ministry, come enter into the yoke for the next season of maturity and development and discipleship in your life. There's people whose lives I wanna touch through you. There's organizations that I wanna reform and transform through you. There's neighbors that I wanna reach through You, you can do it. Let's do it together. Let's minister. Let's serve. Let's give. Let's lead in Jesus' name. Let it be so. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, friends, he took bread and he said this to his disciples. He says, this is my body and it's broken for you. Every time you do this, remember me. Remember my life. Remember my sacrifice. Remember that God sent me to this world to chase after you and to reveal to you how much the Father loves you and believes in you. So with that being said, friends, I want to invite all of you to come to the table. You can exit on the left, receive the spoken word, and we will all take the body and the blood together as family.
All right, church, I got, I got two words from you, for you. <clears throat> one, one is definitely not from the Lord. One may or may not be, okay? <laughs> the first is no more armchair quarterbacks. That's not from the Lord, right? No more armchair quarterbacks. You know what that means? Like just sitting back and going, oh my gosh, oh my goodness. How could, I can't believe that, right? We're not armchair quarterbacks, okay? We're people that get in to the yoke of training and practices and we give ourselves to a process, okay? We're not people who just sit back and criticize. I'm not addressing anything in this church. I'm talking about you in your life. Don't be an armchair quarterback, all right? The second is this. This one might be the Lord, right? You are a co-laborer in Christ. God calls you to be a co-laborer, to be a co-laborer, to join him in his work, all right? So right now, if you sense, and we're just gonna take a minute to pause, and we're just gonna say yes. You may not even know what you're saying yes to specifically, but what we're saying yes to is we're saying yes to God's call to be a disciple, to be a fruitful minister, and to be devoted and dearly beloved sons and daughters. We say yes. We say yes, God. God, we want to mature, we want to grow, and we want to join you in your work in the earth. And God, I just commit the next five weeks, Lord, as we dive in to this young apprentice, this young son in the faith, and we learn from his life, and we learn from what Paul said to him, and we learn from the situation there at the church in Ephesus. God, teach us, lead us, guide us, direct us, mature us, challenge us, prune us, make us fruitful, because we trust you, and you're good. In Jesus' name. Friends, let us take this bread in our hand and let us remember today that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It is broken for you. Take and eat. Let us receive. Amen. In the same way, he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant and my blood for the forgiveness and the removal of sins. Right now, receive the forgiveness of the Lord, receive the cleansing of God, receive the redemptive, sanctifying work of his spirit in your life. God, we receive it. Come cleanse us. Come forgive us, come redeem us, come sanctify us, come prune our lives, come wash us clean. Let us receive the blood today in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of our God. Let's sing a song of doxology. Praise God. We have men and women here who've been praying all week long for this moment to minister to you, to be deacons to you, to serve you and to pray for you. So if there's any way that we can pray for you today, crisis in your life, finances, marriage, work, health, would you just allow our ministry team to bless you and minister to you today? With that being said, I wanna send you out today with commissioning prayer. Would you just lift up your hands, God, in the name of Jesus. I pray right now that the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God our Father that the continuing work of the cross and the resurrection would be our reality and be our home. And Father, I just say yes. I pray just continue to apply pressure and continue to just pour out momentum and grace on the work that you're doing in our lives because it's a good work. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this house, that the Lord bless you and that he would keep you and he'd be gracious to you, that he would lift up his countenance upon you and smile all over you and that he would give you peace in your body peace in your soul, peace in your spirit, peace in all the relationships that are in your life and everything you put your hand to would experience the blessing of God. I pray that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, church. Go practice.